0: Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. So we are studying James, and we are in chapter 1 still, verses 19 through 21, and this will be an interesting, this is probably some good advice uh, for anybody. So... uh, Definitely good advice for Christians, but good advice for anybody. So we'll just go ahead and get into it. We're in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. I think I'll just go ahead and read it. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, this is really, really good stuff. You've all heard this before. I know you have, that everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The, every time I read this in the book of James, I think to myself that God gave us two ears Two eyes but one mouth, why is that? Because we should listen, we should observe, uh, we should touch, but we only have one mouth because we should just be very slow to speak. Now, this is not difficult for me. Everybody has different personality styles and I'm sure if you've known me for a while you know that I am actually I like to listen, I like to observe, and then I speak. I like to get all the data compiled in my brain. Think about it, uh, classify it. Is it true data? Is it not true data? What's the underlying causes of all the data? And then I speak. That's that's my natural, that's my natural existence. So when I hear this from James, I'm like, everybody should be like me. They should be, uh, slow to speak and slow to become angry, and then the world would be fine. That's not necessarily true. I think there are times... Uh, my my problem isn't that I'm slow to speak or slow to become angry. I'm like uh, almost uh, molasses slow to speak, a molasses slow to become angry. I... I know that about myself. There are times when I should probably speak sooner than I do, and there are probably times that I should become angry or or be uh, express my anger quicker than what I do. So this to me does not, when I read this, it does not come across to me as uh, as bat you know sayings that are hard for me. That, uh, that I have to really think about and pray to God's strength to do because this is just naturally how I am. But I know that there are people who are quick to speak and quick to become angry, much quicker than me. And it's not wrong. Uh, but there are also people that are immediate to speak and immediate to become angry. And I think that's what James is speaking to here, that it pause for a moment and Think, before you speak, before you become angry. If you've, and there are people who are immediate at speaking, immediate become angry. And I think that's who James is talking to here. So, maybe some of you are that way, I don't know. Um, If you you are that way, I'm sure that life has formed and molded you to learn that you just can't always speak immediately and you can't always become angry immediately. I uh, worked for a guy. For about 10 years, actually. Who was very quick to speak and very quick to become angry. Now, the the upside of that, at least in this particular instance of the guy I'm talking about or thinking about, is that after he spoke and after he became angry, he was fine. He, he had it off his chest. He took a breath, you know, breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, he would go back into his office and sit down and start working because, uh, for his personality type, he had done what he had, what he what he knew he needed to accomplish, and now life was good. The problem was that after he was angry and spoke, the damaged people, of which he was angry and spoke to, it took them hours to recover from this because not everybody can take anger very well. As a matter of fact, there are probably very few people that can take anger very well. It takes years of self-introspection, understanding the world around you, understanding that different people uh, react to the world in different ways for you to be mature enough to handle anger well. Some of you may be very good at that, some of you even today still may not be able to handle anger well. So when he would go and have these episodes of anger, he'd be fine about it, but then the damage was, was left to fester and actually that was one of my roles in the company is that I would go and talk to people and find out how they're doing and say it's okay you're still you still have value in the company and life is gonna go on this is just his particular personality this is how he deals with crisis in his life is he gets angry with people uh and it is it's immediate anger but then he gets over it and the next day everything's back to normal it may not be back to normal for you it may take you hours days maybe even weeks you might not ever get over this And there were people that actually left the company, good people, because they just simply couldn't handle these moments and outbursts of of anger. But those moments and outbursts of anger weren't wrong. They were probably correct because the people that were being yelled at or the anger was directed towards, including me, probably did something that was wrong. There was an injustice in the company that was wrong. And so that had to be fixed. And if you know people who have that type of personality, one of the ways they fix the injustices of the world or in the company is to come and be angry and to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think what James is talking about here is just to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. He's not saying never speak and he's not saying never be angry. Uh, He is saying, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That is really good advice. Don't you think? I think many of the world's problems could be solved if simply the people who, because I will tell you one thing. These people who are quick to speak and quick to to become angry, for whatever reason, life seems to, uh, they seem to be very accomplished at getting things done. They may get the wrong things done, but they're very accomplished at getting things done. Uh, in in a very small, well, because of my personality, I envy people who are quicker to speak and quicker to become angry than I am because I know that I just I just fact find way too long. I, I sit and think about things way too long. It's just how the, how God created me and that's how he created me. And so I don't speak as quick as I should and I don't become as angry as I should. And that's also, it's not here in James, but I know that about me, that that I I have to learn or I have learned that there are times I just have to be quicker to speak and become angry than I do. Uh, So I'm a bit envious of people that are that way. The problem is, and these people are highly effective. They actually make very good managers because they can, they can see something, they speak, they become angry or whatever, and they get things done. The problem is, is if they're too quick to speak and too quick to get angry, then they're ineffective managers because people just don't like working for them. And so they, over the course of their life, have to learn how to temper their anger and to think before they speak, which they do. And if they can actually do that, if they can actually be slow to speak, uh, slower to speak and slower to become angry, they become incredibly effective managers in, in the world around us. And so I'm, I, if you are this type of personality that you're quick to speak and quick to become angry, but you've learned how to temper that because you know that, that that's not helpful, then kudos to you. I bet you are very, very effective, or you are con- you know, right now a very effective person in the world And I'm envious of you at some level. But if you want to (laughs) get more information and data before you speak or before you come angry, find somebody like me and ask my opinion and I will tell you what I think. And probably I've thought about it a long time and I have some good thoughts. My problem is that I don't always speak and so you have to draw it out of me. But once you draw it out of me, then I'm. I usually have thought about a lot of things a long time. I love thinking about things. I actually like thinking about things more than um, a lot of hobbies that people do or a lot of things that other people do. I just I just enjoy thinking about things, and so that's what I do. And I think about things a lot. That's just how God created me. And I am one of many many different types of personalities out there, and we're all needed and we all have to activate different parts of our personalities if we're going to survive in this world. I cannot just sit around thinking about things. I have to I have to do things, I have to speak things. So that's basically what James is talking about here. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The righteousness that God desires is a balance to listen, to speak, to stand your ground. When you do become angry, and there are times in life when you do need to become angry, Jesus got angry. If you'll remember, he went into the temple and he saw them selling all this food and they'd turned the temple grounds into a marketplace. And this really torqued off Jesus. And he went in there and he overturned the temples and he got angry and they're like, whoa, where did this come from? We thought he was just this passive rabbi out there teaching. But when it came to the selling of these animals in the temple courts and turning the temple courts into this marketplace, he got very, very angry and he overturned it. And people were like, wow, this is interesting. So we know that it's okay to become angry. There is a thing called righteous anger, which Jesus did. And it doesn't say never become righteously angry. It just says be slow to it. But why? Because that doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. The righteousness that God desires is basically to listen, to speak, and to become angry when necessary. Not too quickly, not too slow like me, but just at the right time. But the ultimate righteousness that we that we have in us is a righteousness that comes from God apart from ourselves, that we are declared righteous, as Paul says, because of God and what he did and not because of what we did. And so if you are a person who is quick to become angry, you are doing that because you want to have an inner righteousness in front of God, in front of man, in front of the world, that you're getting things done, that you are a righteous person. You're making sure that righteous things get done, even if you're making sure that things get done that aren't really reach righteousness. The righteousness is focused on you. It's a, it's a righteousness that you that you impose upon the world as opposed to a righteousness that comes from God and that he imposes upon the world. There are a lot of people angry today because they think that a major injustice is being done. I don't want to really get too political about this, but they believe there's a major injustice being done. And they want to do something about it. And the fact is, there are times when you cannot do anything about an injustice. There are times when injustices are, per- are perpetrated upon the world and you are completely powerless over it. And that is frustrating. It's irritating. I personally believe in the COVID that there's an injustice that's, that's occurring because i believe there are that people who are very powerful are are not letting data and information get out and even if the data and information are getting out the people uh, who sit in the ivory towers who make decisions who aren't impacted by the decisions that they make aren't making the right decisions and i think that's an injustice and a travesty but there's nothing i can do about it but God is the ultimate justice. Whatever happens in this world, if there are injustices, God will will overcome that injustice at the end of time. And there will be a judgment for injustices that are done at the end of time. And I simply have to cling to the fact that God will make all things right. And we know that because all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So I know that all the things that I get angry about, that I think that the injustices happen, that there's no righteousness, that it, eventually Jesus covers all that unrighteousness with his total perfect righteousness. All right, verse, let's look at verse 21 again. Uh, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Now, this, we looked at this, if you were with me in the study of the teachings of the early church or the Didache, that's the Greek word for teaching. One of the things that was prevalent throughout the first part of that was that there's two ways to conduct your life. There's the way of life and there's the way of death. And if you want to live in line with the way that God created you, then live the way of life. And the way of life includes peace and love and joy and gentleness and faithfulness and, and all the good things that we can do as humans. And the way of death is, is basically moral filth. That's a great summary of all the ways of death and evil, uh, licentiousness, um, adulteries, Uh, omens, uh, purveyors of dark arts, uh, evil words that come out of your mouth, just all that bad stuff that people do. That's a way of death. We weren't created that way. And so when you do that, it slowly drips poison onto you to, to the point of death. It could kill you. But if you want life, then love, joy, peace, this is like miracle growth that goes on your root system and helps you grow. And so there is a way of death and there's a way of life. So get rid of moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It's always prevalent in the world around it. And just humbly accept the words of life that are planted in you, which can save you. And this save can, can also, um, the word for save in Greek also means heal, complete. It's, um, we always think of eternal salvation, whenever we see the word save in the Bible. But it is much more than that. It is a salvation to the human condition that starts from the moment those words start healing you and growing you and building your faith in Jesus and the words of Jesus that, that make your life peaceable and love and joy and peace. And people want to be around you. And people love to to be in relationship with you. Ultimately, the the joy of this earth is not in things, but it's in relationship. And so all these things that James is talking about in, in 19 through 21 is these are the ways you should live your life because it helps you in your relationships with other people in the world around you and people want to be around you and there and j- there's joy when people are around you and there's life when people are around you. And if, if you are a person that spreads that kind of joy and life, if, if there's somebody that's hurting and you go and sit down and listen to them and then you speak words of encouragement or words of love or you pray over them and that people, Man, people just want to be around you when you're that kind of person. If you're a person that always flies off the handle, you never listen, you're quick to speak, man, this is, um, we have a training called Stephen Ministry and this is is the whole core of Stephen Ministry is just to be slow to speak, right? Just to listen. Most people don't listen. They're so quick to speak that they never hear the other person and the other person gets frustrated because nobody ever listens to them. And one of the trainings of Stephen Ministry is just sit, simply listen to other people. And then if, if you're really effective at listening, you repeat back to them what you heard. Man, if you do that, people will love to be around you. And it that is just, if you listen to that, you, there's no advice really in that. We're also so quick to give our advice or our opinion. And... The Stephen Ministry program that we train people in is not only be slow to speak, but don't necessarily interject your opinion unless it's been asked for. But first thing in any relationship when somebody's going through a crisis is simply to listen and then to repeat back to them what it is that you're hearing. And they're like, no, that's not exactly what I'm saying. All right, well, let me listen some more. And you repeat it back. No, that's not quite it yesterday. So you listen some more and then you repeat back and it's like, yes! That's, you've hit it, and there's something cathartic or healing about that whole process that James is alluding to here. And when you do these types of things, you are a pleasure to be around. And that word of God is implanted in you, and it helps you grow, and it saves you. So get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of the way of death. Put on the way of life. And when you do that, your roots go strong, your tree trunk is strong, you bear fruit, people want to be around you. And here's the most important thing is that you live an abundant life full of peace and joy and love and hope. And you become the type of person that God created all people to be like. This is how God created us. This is how I think closer to the Garden of Eden than than outside of the garden. This is the way God created us. It's like the handbook for life. It's like the um, the owner's manual for humanity is living this way. So do it. So do it. All right. We're gonna let's go on to verse twenty-two and see what it has to say. Um, can I go on to verse twenty-two? I can. Verse twenty-two. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Did you see that? That's what it says. All right. Do not merely listen to the word. We have a tendency to listen to God's word, but then not act upon what God's word says. So if you're listening to a teaching of Jesus and he says to do something, sometimes we do not make any internal changes into our life. We'll listen. And we'll say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But then you never make that change in your life. Or I never make that change in my life. And when you do that, you're deceiving yourself. When you listen to the words of Jesus, it should, it should implant deeply into your heart to the point that you want to make a change. And the only way that we as humans ever make a change and this is so true, it is not because someone tells us to change. The real true changes that come in our life are when God's word penetrates deeply into our, into our heart and we almost have this overwhelming desire to change because it has penetrated so much. That, that there's something about what Jesus said about his the way of life that, that just penetrates deeply into us and we want to make that change. That's really the only way that true change ever happens. It never happens by somebody coming to you and saying, you need to change. Now, parents do this to children all the time. You need to change. And children will change. And perhaps over time, they might learn to live with that change and it might be—it might become a habit in them that's really hard to break. But once you get older and once you have kind of established yourself in your life and how you're going to live it, really the only true changes that ever happen into your life are the ones that penetrate deeply into your heart and affect you emotionally and you understand why it is that you need to change and why it is you need to do the things that Jesus is calling you to do What uh, and there needs to be an emotional attraction. There needs to be a physical attraction. It means an intellectual attraction. Once all that is planted deeply into your psyche, and you have a desire to change, that's where the change actually happens. It doesn't happen from the outside. Somebody telling you. Real, true change only happens when that word is deeply embedded in your life, and you simply. Have this huge desire to change. So don't nearly miss, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. because anyone who just listens but does not do is like looking at a face in your mirror and you'd look and then you turn away. But if you truly look in a mirror and see yourself the way that God sees you, the way that other people see you, the way that the world sees you and you see yourself for all your true humanity and you see something in the mirror that you don't like and you maybe have an emotional response, a, 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 a response that says, I cannot go on living this way. I I need to change something about myself because what I see I don't like and everybody else sees it and now I see it and I cannot Continue in this way. Once you look deeply into a mirror and see that, that's where change can happen. If you've ever talked to anybody who's made a major life change in their life, it is because they deeply looked at themselves in a mirror and saw themselves truly, maybe even for the first time, the way other people see them, the way that God sees them. And that really, truly is the first step in making any change in your life. And so you do that, and you not only listen to the word and deceive yourself, but then you affect change in your life. You look in the mirror deeply, and you say, I need to do something. And it could be anything. It could be a change about yourself, or it could be about something that you're going to do in the world around you. It, It could be anything. All change happens by deeply looking at and reflecting upon yourself, and how does God want you to live your life, and how how can you live your life for him, and how can you make the world a better place? How can you be the hands and feet of God? And that really does require looking deeply and intently into your face in a mirror and seeing how God wants you to do something. And then don't just look and turn away. What James is saying is after you've looked and you've penetrated, then do something. We have talked previously about kairos moments, where Jesus in Mark 1 15 says, the time has come and has now come. Repent and believe. And that time is a kairos time. There's two ways to define time. There's chronological time, and there's these kairos, these moments in time. Um, Who is it that says, the life is not measured by the, uh oh shoot. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to remember that one, but, but basically these moments of these moments of time, it's not like how many times you see something, but how many times you see something. Um, but it's, it's, oh man, it's such a beautiful saying, but I can't think of it. But those types of moments in your life where you stop and you pause and you realize some eternal truth that deeply affects you. And then you, you change Those are the moments in time. And and the more of those you have, the more you can start aligning yourself and your will to the will of God. That, my friends, is living the joyous and peaceful and abundant life that God has for you. So look in the mirror and don't forget what you see in it, but act upon it. For whoever looks intently into the perfect law, remember God's law is perfect and when you look intently upon him and his law and the way that he wants you to live your life, you'll get freedom and you'll continue in freedom and if you don't forget what you've heard but you actually respond and do something, then you will be a blessed person in what you do. I think we'll leave it there. Let's uh, close in prayer. Dear Jesus, continue to show me myself perfectly so that when I look at you, I see the things you want me to do in life and then give me the courage to do them, not just to see them and turn away, but to see them and to do them. In your name we pray, amen.